Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 78 of the SLS Cast. Yes ladies and gentlemen, the tarot card episode. We got it right this week. Last week was pretty screwed up when I confused the two weeks and tried to do this ahead of time. But now we're doing it right. It's episode 78. It's the tarot card episode because there are 78 cards in a tarot deck. Maybe it should be called the tarot deck episode. I don't know. But I, of course, am Matt, here once again live with... Oh, Tim. Tim. Yeah, we're not going to wait 15 minutes to get it out of the way this yeah, time. Yeah, no, I know. So I was distracted. I have like a ton of bug bites on my on my on my ankles. Oh no. From the weekend. Did the whole free press Summerfest thing and the first day it was all rainy. They had to delay the show. Okay, so Houston rains during the summertime. Yes, yeah, through June. Yeah, exactly. Through and June, yeah. yeah, and uh and you know, it says on the, these concerts it's rain or shine. <laughs> what they fail to mention is that when it rains, they evacuate all thousands of people <laughs> when they see lightning. It's like they think that lightning doesn't happen when it rains, and it was ridiculous. So we got to miss a couple bands, which sucked. But beer, we got to drink a lot of beer, so that was nice. There you go. There's always that. So you have that going for you. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, yeah. But that brought in the uh, the bugs, the... Uh, the pesky mosquitoes, but it was all you know, perfect. this is one of the few areas of the country where I have found that it is just patently worse after it rains than before, because when it was hot before it started raining, and then it rains and the temperature drops like twenty degrees, and you're like, well, it's not so terrible because it's cooler, but it's raining, and then the rain stops. And it's not like little rain; it's like huge raindrops that just like drench you. It's torrential, and then the rain stops. And then instead of being nice and refreshing, all of the bugs come out of the puddles and everything, and the bugs get like ten times worse. And then it gets really hot really fast, which then makes all of that water and moisture in the air just turn to straight muggy humidity. And it's like ten times worse after it rains than before. I don't think we need rain. Well, not anymore. I mean, everything's like rain. flooding and, you know. <laughs> Just people buy, buy humidifiers and yeah, humidity, you know. humidity. Just, just spit into the wind. There you go. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you're not yeah. supposed to do that. At least that's what the Jim Croce song says. But you know. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So this is your last week in Houston. This is my last week until you know Christmas or whenever you come back. Right? Thanksgiving-ish, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. Outstanding. So we'll probably have another. Well, it's live for us. It's not exactly live. For, well, I guess technically all of our episodes are live for us. But this is live in the same venue. Yes, that is for correct. us. Yeah, and it'll it'll go back to our regular format next week. <laughs> our regular dull, mundane programming. Yes. Yeah, and we won't have to worry about Matt's crappy editing, quick edits. No, we've been doing pretty good. You, you've done just fine. one. It's just one. Yeah, you were standing over my shoulder the whole time. Yeah, that's good. Edit this. That's good. Okay. <laughs> do, do the setting like this. Yes, master. <laughs> he, I whip him. I whip him all the time. He he's wearing a lot of gauze right now to protect the, the bleeding. <laughs> yes, the, the white shirt I'm wearing does kind of look like gauze. I'm the Michelin man now. 
and <laughs> let's throw out a couple tires real quick. And, you know, if only it worked that way, but it doesn't. So yeah, well, okay. So I was supposed to have school. I was supposed to start summer school. Yeah. Uh, for uh, summer session one. Yeah. Did they and, and cancel it? They or? did. They canceled my class due to low enrollment. Really? Yes. So I got a call from the department chair as I'm taking my children. We had to do so much finagling, so many schedule switches, all this kind of crap to get this stuff worked out. And I'm literally on my way to take the girls to the sitter. And then the department chair calls. "Um, Sorry, Mr. Quentin, we had to cancel the class due to low enrollment. I'm like, okay, well, there are any other Spanish classes that I can take, anything, whatever. And they're like, nope, there's nothing for Spanish 2, which is what I needed for the first summer session. But, you know, you could do the second summer session. I'm like, I'm going to be gone for almost two weeks in July, so that's not going to work. And they're like, okay, well, then, yeah, you'll just have to wait till fall. I'm like, awesome. So that totally screws up my plan. Yeah. But, well, we'll figure something out. I have no idea what will happen. So, yes, yeah, so that was fun, although it's saving me babysitting fees and you know, extra gas and all that kind of stuff. So that's good, I suppose. Do you ever feel gypped? Like, it's kind of like, well, I mean, why why can't why can't I get this education even if I am the only person in the room? I told him that. Yeah. I was like, well, three people. He's like, yeah, I'm sorry, only three people registered. I'm like, he's like, that's not enough to form the class. I was like, but it would be much more personalized education. Yeah, yeah. And he chuckled, but then did not relent and said, sorry. No. No education for you. That's right. No. Well, I guess some good came out of it, though. I mean, you get to look forward to taking the class again, maybe, hopefully. Well, yeah, I'll just be doing it in the fall. Okay. It's just, it. I there was a mishap last semester where I thought that I would be able to take a language class online, and yeah. I wanted to do French because I, I don't want to speak Spanish. I wanted, If I've got to learn a language, I would prefer to learn French, you know, whatever. Uh, it worked into my long-term plan for my master's thesis and everything. So I was like, cool. But the only way I had time to do it and work it out was to actually try and take it online. And despite all of the assurances that it would work and the, the professor being, oh, I'll help you and everything we find, yeah. it was a just complete disaster. So I had so that put me one semester behind for my plan because I need two years of language, yeah. not one, because I'm getting an arts degree. Uh, uh, bachelor a BA, ba and then an ma instead of the bs and an ms so isn't that terrible why does why does the sciences one just sound like bullshit and multiple sclerosis i don't yeah. know yeah so bama yeah bama for the yards anyway so yeah so that's uh so, so that, that's so well it's gonna take now some more scholastic finagling to get to get to stay on time but yeah yeah who needs christmas right so, yeah. yeah well not the Jews? <laughs> yeah, Maybe? but they, well, we, they get eight crazy nights, according to, to Adam, Adam Sandler. Sandler. Well, yeah. I don't know. if I think Adam Sandler's been a little bit discredited the past uh, couple <laughs> weeks. That doesn't make what he said in his heyday any less factual, right? True, true. Unless if you block everything he's done post-2006. I don't know. The last movie he made that was decent, Fifty First Dates, maybe. Was Wedding Singer after that or before that? Oh, Wedding Singer was way before that. That was, that was way before ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay. So then, yeah, I guess Fifty First Dates. I'm trying to think. Click was pretty cute. I remember kind of. Oh, uh, Punch Drunk Love was good. That was two thousand and 
that was like 2005 Four. or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was like that was like Adam Sandler drama. And like funny people, that was more of an Adam Sandler genre uh, uh, drama with the uh, Seth Rogen. Adam Sandler. Oh right, yeah. Yeah, I guess comedy. I was thinking of more than like his goofy comedy, you know, romantic comedy. Oh sure, yeah, comedy. So yeah, I yeah, couldn't even tell you. I mean, we're talking about a guy who did. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. So that yeah, <laughs> there's there's that forgettable one. Yeah. Uh, at any rate, all right. Well, shall we go ahead and get down to business, or was there anything else fun and exciting? I have a fun little news of the weird kind of thing, but I don't uh, know actually, I just wanted to plug uh, a good friend of mine. His wife uh, is. You does... wanted to plug your friend's wife? Yeah, my. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of friend are you? Uh, well, <laughs> a really good friend. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you're, you're you know, you. Stick it to him in the, you know, you stick with them in the hard times. Well, I wouldn't be sticking it to him. I well, guess. true, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, pl- uh, well, it's plugging his wife and his uh, his his company, her company, I guess, whatever. Uh, they are part of Ophelia. She's a part of Ophelia's Rope, one of two lovely ladies who do improv comedy downtown. And I caught one of their shows that they had at Spring Street Studios, and I've realized the last couple times I've seen them perform. Houston has really, really good improv comedy kind of like underground thing going on. You know, stand-up sure. comedy as well. And uh, yeah, so if any, and they were all in like the Houston Press or something made like one of the top five or top ten must-do things in Houston. So uh, yeah, check them out. They're really good. Uh, I mentioned it to her that I'd say something, so wanted to do that. So. Oh, absolutely. And you know what? That does remind me. I, I actually made some uh, new podcasting community friends. Uh, over the weekend, I was uh, stumbling around on Stitcher trying to find something to watch or watch, listen to me, to to, to listen to while I was at work. And uh, because, you know, we're on Stitcher. And so I listen to all my favorites now on Stitcher. And Ooh, nice, 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 nice little plug there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Way to go. You know, Stitcher. Where, you know, just listen to Stitcher Radio. So I was looking, I literally plugged in film and found some stuff, found uh, Kevin Smith one that was pretty cool, uh, and then plugged in uh, movie, and then came across one that was called uh, uh, Midnight Movie Nights, and the Nights is with a K. And it is uh, two people, and it's kind of like Twilight zone because th- uh, the two people consists of a guy whose twi- Twitter handle is at that fracking cat, and a young lady who's uh, handle is at uh, Miranda. Hang on, I'm because I'm I'm terrible with names. Uh, at Miranda Janelle, and then of course their Twitter handle for their show is at Movie Nights Pod, and again Nights with a K. And so I had come across them, and so I was like, okay, I'll give them a listen and everything. So I listen to the show, and they are a very uh, they're conversational like we are, but they are way more stream of consciousness than than we are. Uh, we, we, where we are, you know, we pretend like we're structured, which is really just due to editing where, you know, we're terrible, but, uh, they literally, I mean, they have really fun stuff and they just kind of talk about what, almost whatever gets to them and they live stream. So what I was listening to was actually a previously recorded live stream that they had, which is really fun because they, they've got the mixers and all that stuff. So you get all the sound bites and everything. One of their big things is squirrel from up. You know, mm-hmm. whenever they get, whenever basically, whenever Miranda gets uh, a Twitter 
thing sent to her, you know, she'll say squirrel because she gets sidetracked. And then, you know, so that's kind of fun stuff that they do. And it all culminates in a movie that they plan to watch for that evening. So I reached out to him via Twitter and I was really smart about it because instead of using at the SLS cast, I used my personal Twitter handle, uh, which is at nittwit12345. And we're just plugging everything. You're going to have to come back and listen to this thing like, what? It was at something. God damn it. I can't. Fuck. There's too many ats. I, I can tell you there was an at in it. Every Twitter handle has an at. I don't care. Um,. So, yeah, so I was listening to it, so I reached out to him. I literally just said, hey, I discovered your podcast on Stitcher and was wondering if you would give uh, give mine a listen. So I, and I gave him the website, slscast.com. And lo and behold, a couple hours later, uh, Miranda sends, uh, sends a tweet back at me saying, I'm listening to the Matt episode right now. So that kind of started a wonderful little exchange, and then I ended up staying up on Saturday night so that I could actually do their whole, you know, or listen to the whole live experience and everything, which is really fun. It's very interactive because with Twitter and everything. So they, I was tweeting at them during the show, and they were responding, and then they would tweet back and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's very interactive that way. We might have to try that some never. But um, it was a lot of fun, and so I definitely would recommend for sure giving them a listen Preferably, if you can, definitely participate in the live stream. Because I thought that was the superior experience. That was really cool. It made me uh, want to listen to more. And, yeah. So definitely check them out. MidnightMovieNights.com And, uh, again, Nights with a K. And then Midnight Movie Pod. Or Movie Nights Pod. Did I just totally screw that up? Probably screwed that up. Yeah. At Movie Nights Pod. Again, Nights with a K. At Miranda Janelle and at that fracking cat, awesome people, and they've been—they were very gracious and totally plugged us all over the place on their show. Cool. So, thank you. <laughs> Feel free to do that again anytime you want. It's great. <laughs> all right. So now that we're done plugging all of our friends and family and everything, you want to do some serious stuff? Uh, we probably should. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking that we should at this point. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. I've got a little bit of the news of the weird, like I said. And this okay. comes to us from, uh, actually, from Yahoo.com. Uh, and Kurt, actually, from Yahoo Autos. And this is courtesy of Alex Lloyd. And it's an article about a man who unwittingly restored Tarantino's stolen Pulp Fiction Malibu. And it's a very nice little article about a guy who had the unfortunate experience, his name's Bill uh, Jimenez of San Leandro, California. He spent over $40,000 to restore a classic 1964 Chevy Malibu that he'd purchased from a collector more than 12 years ago. He drove the car to countless shows across the state and was continually investing money into it, keeping it meticulous. So Jimenez was a little puzzled when police called him last year asking after a stolen Malibu in his driveway. The very same one he'd put so much uh, money and time into. And it turns out that the little red Chevy was none other than the car Vincent Vega drove during his troubled date with Mia Wallace in Pulp Fiction, a car that went missing outside of director Quentin Tarantino's home nearly two decades ago. Basically, they had altered the VIN on the paperwork to sell the car 
to him and when he had found when he got it it was in really crappy condition so he restored it and then kept it restored but because it was ultimately proven that it was a stolen vehicle he had no right to purchase it and went back to Tarantino and Tarantino kept it mm mm-hmm. no thanks to the guy who restored it and that's kind of the shitty thing is because as of this article being posted Neither Tarantino's people or Tarantino himself, no one's actually said anything to this guy who completely restored the vehicle. Like, he's even nice about it. He's like, I don't want any money. I mean, it wasn't his fault it got stolen, and I'm the one who bought a stolen vehicle, even though I didn't realize it. You know, I got duped, too. But he is, he, he, he does allude to, like, you know, it'd be nice if I got a thank you. (laughs) (laughs) just to thank you a simple thank you would be fine yeah how long ago uh, has this happened uh let's see here this was initially for last week's episode so i want to say let's see here it was may 21st so it's been about a week and a half yeah uh yeah 12 days so almost two weeks now yeah wow and it's kind of funny because it does tie uh well not really but it does kind of loosely tie into my first piece of real news okay and do uh, you want to... No, go for it. All right. Yeah. Well, then we're going to go ahead and do the real... The News! <laughs> it's fun. I get to do the visual stuff, and Tim's here to know, see it. I, I do this kind of stuff all the time. I wave my hands. I talk. It's great. It's fun. All right. So I do <laughs> see it. I, I hack into your computer, and I watch you dance around. Anyway, hang on, motherfucker. I've got that shit covered up. Just like you have the tape. Unless you can, like, x-ray shit or something. I, I do. Damn I it. I see through the tape. Damn it. I'm going to need... <laughs> I have your, your daughters are on my side. <laughs> That's awesome. They're out there playing. But no, it does. Uh, from Collider.com, courtesy of Adam Chipwood, Quentin Tarantino says he'd like to release a four-hour miniseries cut of Django Unchained. And this is really simple stuff. We all know that Tarantino does not go back and re-edit his movies. Once his movies come out, he says, that's it. This is my product. This is what I'm happy with. And I don't, you know, I make my movies perfect the first time. Is his whole philosophy. That being said, he knows that he did have to cut a lot of material. It was basically almost an hour, uh, over an hour of material that he wanted to include in the movie, but he knew that there was no way he could get it. People wouldn't sit for four hours in a theater. So what he wants to do is actually take all of that footage reinsert it and then turn it into a four-part miniseries that would be like one hour it'd be like on hbo or whatever and then put them into sections yeah and then you would get the complete narrative experience but not alter the film and i for one think that would be really cool well you know that's what they did with the original girl with the dragon tattoo movies on netflix you can watch them in like oh, four right. different yeah. uh, four or five different like 90 minute episodes episodes like, yeah, yeah. And they added in, like, a whole bunch of new material and stuff like that for a more immersive experience. I haven't, I, I haven't checked it out yet, me neither. but I guess. Me, yeah. I, I was wondering what that was, because, yeah, it was, like, five or six episodes or something like that. And I was like, episodes? Three movies? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so. you can still watch the movies, but they, they right. you can, like, pick or choose 
you know, if you're, I guess if you're a big fan, check it out. <laughs> but yeah, that should be, uh, that should be pretty interesting. I would, I, I hope it gets a chance because the yeah. the first movie was it was literally it was two hours and forty five minutes. Right. And then he says in a USA Today uh, quote, and this is a shortened quote here. Uh, I have about ninety minutes worth of material with Django. End quote there. Um, so, yeah. Huh. Maybe I like the miniseries better than the movie. Oh, that's right. You weren't that big of a fan uh, of the movie. Yeah, I wasn't. I've, I've seen it like two more, I think, yeah, one other time since then. And I liked it a little bit better, so maybe this will you know, be the tipping <laughs> get, point. Yeah, get you it. over the edge. Get you over yeah. All right. Well, go ahead. Take it away, sir. What do you All got? All right. So, uh, the, okay. Indiana Jones. Whoa, hang on. I already jumped the gun on uh, the news here. Harrison Ford, the real Indiana Jones, he is busy doing the uh, this new Star Wars movies. And, or at least the first Star Wars movie. And it looks like they're wanting to, the movie production company, Lucasfilm or whatever, wanting to go ahead and, and move forward on a new Indiana Jones franchise. Well, there have been some rumors about who could take over the Indiana Jones character. And it looks like, according to the www.dailystar.co.uk website, that they are jumping on the bandwagon with saying that Twilight star Robert Pattinson might take over that particular role. What it says here is that, quote, the 28-year-old British hunk, dubbed R. Pats by fans, tops a short list of young actors being drawn up by Disney to replace wrinkly Harrison Ford. That's not nice. (laughs) Hollywood sources claim that 71-year-old Ford is now getting too old to play the whip-cracking action hero. He is also committed to filming the new Star Wars movies. One Los Angeles insider says that Disney is looking at its long-term options for the Indiana Jones franchise. They feel that the series has huge potential on many levels, starting with the films leading to other spin-offs like games which can generate more money than movies. Rob is top of the initial uh, of the initial list because he has showed his acting stripes away from Twilight. But the competition will be stiff. End all quotes. So what do you think about Robert Pattinson? I okay, there was one movie that he did. It was the first movie after all of the Twilight crap, and it was a movie. It was Depression era, and I want to say it involved like a circus or something like that. Oh, Water for Elephants. Yeah, Water for yeah, Elephants, yeah, yeah. and I was moderately impressed with that movie, and I'm still not thoroughly convinced because I believe I don't believe he'll ever escape the fully the taint of Twilight. But given that performance, I believe that it would be possible. I'm still concerned, like I told you, I, like really seriously, but, uh, you know, I, I, had, I had forgotten about his performance in Water for Elephants, so it's possible. I would maybe want to see a screen test. L- let's do a screen test. How about that? Can we see a screen test? Well, yeah, that's how they found Harrison Ford. Originally, Tom Selleck was going to be yes, I do. Indiana uh, Jones, but uh, uh, on YouTube, you can type in, look up Robert Pattinson hates Twilight, and there's like this three minute and ten second mashup. And I found this via Cinema Blend, but you can just go on YouTube and look at it. And it says three minute and ten second mashup of his various. Robert Pattinson's various Twilight uh, interviews, like at the uh, at the at the press junkets and everything, sure. And going back to the very first Twilight movies, and some of the stuff he says about being in the movies is pretty like it's it's hilarious. I think people will kind of get a will find it if you didn't like him because of the Twilight movies. I think you will appreciate him more 
after watching this because he doesn't like it just as much as you know Matt and I. <laughs> you know, doesn't like it. Well, so. I, I, I will be fair in my criticism of Twilight. I watched Twilight. Yeah. Um, All of them. Because, no. I watched Twilight because my wife asked me to. Yeah. And then I, I said, okay, I will I will do this for you. And it was just painfully bad. And I was like, I'm not watching anymore. And then she had it on... Uh, What's I don't know the second one. I could go over. She's got all the books over there. I should go and take a look. I can't remember what the second one's called. New Moon Eclipse. Uh, and then Breaking Dawn, right? Yeah, that's Eclipse, the last New Moon, one. Breaking Dawn's the Something last like one. Yeah. yeah. So I went, and she had it on when she was watching this. So I remember catching little bits and pieces of the second one, and and remembering it was even worse than the first one, and was like, how do you keep watching this dribble and so I haven't watched any of the other ones. I never, I never even saw a glimpse of the third one, and I never even anything of the fourth one. Or apparently they did the Harry Potter thing, right, and they broke it into two or something like yes. that. Yes, so, yeah. It's um, a popular thing to do now. Yeah, that, that apparently seems to be the way to eke out the money. I, I will say, though, that there is... A, I have watched the entirety of the Twilight series when they have Twilight in a minute. Right. And New Moon in a minute, and Eclipse in a minute. Yeah. Those are fucking hilarious. And they're great, because it's literally, they're all like a minute long. So. Yeah. And I, I will I would definitely recommend those also on YouTube. So instead of wasting, you know, 14 hours watching them, you can just waste... You won't even waste. Hours. It's four minutes. <laughs> it's like four minutes of your life, and they're great. They're absolutely hilarious. So... Especially when you know, because like my wife, so she's told me all the plot stuff and everything, yeah. you know, and and um and so when you if you even have just a remedial understanding of what happens, they're just absolutely hilarious. So I mean, I, I can't remember which one it is if it's like Eclipse or New Moon or something, but like the first time you really see some, <laughs> someone like Taylor Lautner's character that he's the werewolf, I guess, mm-hmm. and they have a guy. <laughs> The guy who plays Taylor on is hilarious because he's kind of buff, but he's like way tall. And <laughs> so it's like way taller than the uh, Robert Pattinson character. And then he turns into a collie. <laughs> so it's just, it's fun stuff like that. But, you know, wait a, wait a, stretch that out, right? Okay, good. Uh, did you have anything? I'm sorry, I didn't want to. No, no, that, that's uh, it. Okay, well then, uh, my next piece uh, from comic movie, comic, ComicBookMovie.com, courtesy of Josh Wildling. Simon Kinberg confirms plan for original cast members to return in X-Men Apocalypse. That's right. For the people like me who so enjoyed the fact that all of the original, most of the original, actually, fuck it, all the original cast came back for uh, X-Men Days of Future Past and and thoroughly enjoyed X-Men Days of Future Past just like I did. Um... And I thought Tim would laugh at that, but he did not, because I hated X-Men Days of Future Past. Uh, you Fear not! Apparently they're not done with them yet. Perhaps Simon Kinberg and Brian Singer aren't finished with time travel just yet, as the former confirms that the plan is to bring back some of the original cast members in X-Men Apocalypse. Kinberg also addresses who will helm that movie and reveals more about plans for Gambit. And it, it's a it's an interesting article, and I actually read uh, an adjoining article on another website. Um, I cannot recall this time. Basically, it's not going to be time travel that they're doing for X Men Apocalypse. They're just going to kind of do 
this is what's happening in the future and this is what happened in the past. It's not going to be a crossover time travel thing. It'll just be more kind of resuming that story, that storyline that begins at the end of X-Men Apocalypse yeah. uh, before the credit thing and then telling you how it was playing out. Yeah, yeah, it's, the, it's like the comic book. So yeah, uh, so there's, there shouldn't be any more time travel stuff. And then, of course, we, all, we already had discussed with uh, Chan, uh, Channing Tatum Right, or who's tanning, tanning, Chatham tanning? Yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> who's gonna be Gambit and all that good stuff? So, yeah. But I also have one other bit of X Men news. Um, there was a scene with Anna Paquin. It was deleted, and the reason why it was deleted was the reason. <laughs> basically, is the Quicksilver reason. Um. Rogue's power is the ability to absorb a mutant's power for a time. And they the scene in the future that plays out with Anna Bakin that was cut... Bakin? I've never heard him. Is it Paquin? What do yeah, they call it? Is yeah. it Paquin? I think I've never Pac-Win. heard him. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, whatever. Paquin. Uh, sounds like Pac-Man. Who the hell wants to be called Anna Pac-Man? I don't know. Whatever. Well, an Academy Award winner. Would want to be called Anna Pac-Man? Well, yeah, she was nominated Pac-Man. at least... Yeah, no, she, she was when the, she's the piano and all that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, all right, so fine, my bad. And a Paquin. Um, her, so Rogue's supposed to be rescued in the future because they need her to heal or to take uh, What's-Her-Butt's time travel power and use it when she gets wounded. The problem oh, is, is yeah. that she would just be able to permanently keep siphoning the power so that there would be no reason to worry about any kind of uh, time crunch. You know, there's all the sense of urgency is gone because they can keep using Ellen uh, Page's powers. Yeah. And that was why they did that. Because they didn't want to introduce a character who could solve your entire problem and then not use that character to solve the entire problem. Kind of like what they did with Quicksilver, who could have just stopped Mystique in Vietnam or in Paris and then yeah but that's my X-Men Days of Future Past news and hopefully where'd that'll you, be the last find, where'd you get that from? oh this is uh, businessinsider.com uh, courtesy of Kristen Acuna cool and maybe I'm saying maybe it's Akuna. I don't know because you know Akuna Matata, right? <laughs> so I don't know how to talk anymore. I pride myself on usually knowing that shit. All right. Uh, okay, so via the playlist, uh, I, I, I'm sure it's many websites, but it's blogs.indiewire.com, uh, and they say that John Lithgow apparently John Lithgow says that he turned down David Cronenberg's The Fly because it was icky and grotesque, grotesque, grotesque. That's uh, John Lithgow's words. And uh, what they pretty much say here in this uh, article, or blog, I guess, say it's that uh, considering he's done everything from playing the alien dad in Third Rock from the Sun to being a delightfully deranged serial killer in Dexter to guiding Bigfoot away through... or guiding Bigfoot through Harry and the Hendersons and tons of other roles, obviously, the idea of the multi-talented, always-busy John Lithgow playing the lead in David Cronenberg's The Fly isn't so far-fetched. And it seems that part was his back, or and it seems that part was his back in the day, and it seems that, and it seems that part was his back. All right, it just reads weird. I'm sorry. And it seems that part was back in his 
back in the day, but he turned. And it seems that part. And it seems that part was his back in the. That's okay, I see. Okay, okay. Back in yeah, the day. exactly. That's how it is. Thank you. Sure. But he turned it down. Why? Because it was too gross. Chatting with In Magazine via Global News, the actor revealed that even though he was encouraged to take the part, he ultimately declined. My agent wanted me to do the fly, and I didn't want to do it. I just finished another project, and I was exhausted. And I found that it was such an icky story, Lithgow says. I told my agent I just didn't want to play something so grotesque. In quotes. So... Yeah, that would have definitely been a much a different portrayal for sure. Since uh, yeah, I don't since know that goes more of like a theatrical kind of like classic. True, but he also plays an amazing bad guy, and to he watch, does. and he's a great good guy too. I mean, he he really is a good actor, and it's would be fun to watch that descent to madness. Um, but really and truly, I just as as good as I think he would have done, I'm glad he didn't because. Man, Jeff Goldblum was just creepy. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> this comes to us from Collider.com, courtesy of Matt Goldberg, and it is confirmed. Edgar Wright left Ant Man over script changes. Uh, now, Matt Goldberg starts off by saying, "I won't add to the outcries about Edgar Wright leaving Ant Man beyond saying it sucks. It's a bad for Marvel and bad for fans." It was rumored that Wright's seemingly abrupt exit was due to significant rewrites from Marvel's in-house writers, and the new script completely undid the story Wright and co-screenwriter Joe Cornish wanted to tell. THR confirms this report, saying, quote, New rewrites took place without Wright's input, and when he received Marvel's new version early during the week of May 19th, he walked. End quote. Additionally, THR reports that some insiders feel the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy may have already gone too far, and Wright's vision might have been too quirky for the Marvel Universe. End quote there. So, basically, I think that even though it seems like there's a lot of positive hype for Guardians of the Galaxy, the way that they've taken that story, which is kind of an interesting story and not necessarily your average movie plot... It's the same with Ant-Man. I mean, you've got a very unique character, and it's a very weird, you know, you've got something you've got to try and convey seriously to some form of seriousness in there. Um, There also have been other reports that people are kind of glad that Edgar Wright is not involved, because Edgar Wright would have, his vision for the script was, was truly too zany to be taken seriously and that's what caused marvel to do the rewrites uh the rewrites have been rumored to use the one of the storylines that involves a guy who's a divorced father and gets the hold of the ant-man suit he steals it and then uses it to like help his daughter or something and and so they're really gonna screw it up well, shit the thi- well, th- that's a comic book storyline, and the war- and what what the things are the rumors are going now yeah. is that they're combining the zany Edgar Wright story with this other serious storyline, and it's gonna yeah blow up in their faces. Yeah, I just I I honestly personally I think Marvel really needs to keep things different because. Everything is more of the same with me. I mean, even... I mean, the Captain America movie that we... Winter Soldier was great up until a point, which it just became another uh, another tie-in to the Avengers and other Marvel Universe movies. 
Guardians of the Galaxy, I was, I mean, I wasn't too excited for it, but after seeing more trailers and looking more into it, I really like it. For one thing, the special effects for the movie looks loads better than any other shitty Marvel special effects movie, because (laughs) the effects of the Avengers were not good. They totally clashed. Iron Man, all the, just, all those movies just freaking clash with special effects, but this movie looks good. It looks like it could rival something like Star Wars with the beautiful cinematography, the characters that you might even really grow to care for because they actually have more of a, you know, a personality and, you know, the, I don't know, feeling, I don't know. Just more of a person personality. Well, sure. And I, this is something that finally does not have to tie into exactly all the existing properties. It yeah. can truly be its own story and spawn its own stuff yeah yeah so it doesn't have to try to fit in all this other crap right and that's kind of what the marvel other marvel movies are trying to do and ultimately that's kind of what happened to to ant-man like you were saying so it's a it's a bummer you know right it's 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 a bummer you want me to do this or sure yeah jump in go ahead uh from this little article uh from www.contactmusic.com um, they talk about, the, okay, so Adam McKay, who directed a few Will Ferrell movies, including Anchorman 1 and Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, he was asked to do the Ant-Man movie. And he, I mean, I, he accepted, but then ultimately he declined saying that it, he left, that he was going to leave due to time restraints and his schedule and things not working out because I guess... He couldn't drop anything to work on a big ass budget Ant Man movie, I guess. But then they go on. This article goes on to propose a couple other directors, and I, one of them in particular, I'm glad that they mentioned because I think it would be pretty good. Despite another movie that he might have made that a lot of people, another superhero he might have made that a lot of people didn't like. Uh, but they say here, uh, before Matt, uh, Adam McKay uh, uh, was announced to be involved with Ant-Man, it was heavily rumored that some of the other possibilities could be directors Rawson, Marshall Thurber, and Ruben Fisher. Thurber, who most recently directed Jennifer Aniston and Jason Sudeikis in We're the Millers, was said to be a heavy favorite. I don't know why. While Fleischer <laughs> is best known for his work in 2009's Zombieland, Additionally, additionally, Flesher is also said to be linked with possibly directing Ghostbusters 3. If this is true, it may just open the door wide open for Thurber. However, if, ne- if neither of these contenders can work out, the pool of eligible applicants is more than filled. And they go on to say that someone to take over the job could be Joe Cornish. The British television director co-wrote the Ant-Man script with Wright... So who better than to fill the position? However, Cornish and Wright were allegedly tangled up with Marvel execs who demanded the rewrites. When Marvel's own draft failed to impress them, it supposedly caused Wright to leave as the director. Two other good picks would be Jonathan Levine or Michelle Gondry. Levine directed the 2013 zombie rom-com Warm Bodies and also the critically acclaimed 50-50. Levine's or Levine's direction could take Ant-Man to a unique territory, but would Marvel approve it? On the other hand, Gondry entered the superhero world with when he directed the Green Hornet. Everyone basically hated it, but maybe Gondry deserves a second chance. Ant-Man could be the hero, could be the hero that he gets right. Whether either of 
Whether either of these guys will get the call from Marvel remains to be seen, but let's hope that whoever ends up directing Ant-Man sticks with it until the end. I think Michelle Gondry would be great. I enjoyed uh, The Green Hornet for whatever that's worth. It's not a great movie at all, but I thought it was entertaining and a little Never bit different it. than other movies. Uh, I mean, it was just... I wanted. I always wanted to see it. I just never got around to it, and then it apparently didn't do very well. And um, like, It kind of just fell off the radar yeah, quite a bit. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Michel Gondry. I mean, this is definitely something that I can see him doing. Something a little offbeat, something different, but... It would definitely... The movie itself would have to be definitely more offbeat and different, which is why I doubt he'll get the job, seeing that Edgar Wright isn't, you know, in it for many of the same reasons. And also with The Green Hornet, he also had issues with Warner Brothers and DC Comics because, you know, obviously it couldn't be a Michelle Gondry movie. That's why it was Michelle Gondry and Seth Rogen, so it had to be a Seth Rogen movie as well. And, you know, it just became... Something that a lot of people didn't care for. So, yeah. Right on. Go Michelle Gondry. Okay, well, then, you know, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Godspeed and good luck. All right, well, then, this is going to be my last piece of news. It's real fast and real easy here for you. Uh, from StarWars.com. No other tagline than that. No byline. So, Star Wars Episode 7 adds Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o and Game of Thrones' Gwendolyn Christie. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Lupita Nyong'o joins the recently announced cast of Star Wars Episode 7. This year, her breakthrough performance in 12 Years a Slave earned her an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Gwendolyn Christie, currently starring in the hit television series Game of Thrones as Brienne of Tarth, has also been cast in the production. She can be next seen in The Hunger Games' Mockingjay Part 2. Quote, I could not be more excited about Lupita and Gwendolyn joining the cast of Episode 7. End quote, says Lucasfilm President Kathleen Kennedy. Quote, it's thrilling to see this extraordinary, talented ensemble taking shape. End quote. So good, fun. Nice, strong women actresses. As opposed to men actresses? What the hell? <laughs> it's <laughs> possible. <laughs> strong actresses. This is going to be, uh, I- I'm-, I'm definitely looking forward to these additions. So, yay. And that's the end of my news. I, did you have anything you wanted to close out with, sir? Yes, I will close out with this. Uh, so when River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix's brother, who passed away on Halloween in 1993, a lot of people thought that his final appearance would be in the film Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. But nay, that will not be his final appearance. Uh, what I guess is his final appearance will be in a film called Dark Blood, nearly 20 years after he passed away. Is this the one that got that the director released on YouTube? Mm, no. No, okay. no, no. It's, not, it's a THR. Uh, this is from a Cinema Blend article entitled, 20 years after his death, River Phoenix will return to theaters in Dark Blood by Christy Puchko. Uh, they say that, quote, THR, the Hollywood Reporter, reports out of cans that Lionsgate has bought the rights to Dark Blood, a thriller that had its production halted after River Phoenix's unexpected death. The film, written by Jim Barton and directed by George Sluzier, Sluzier, has Phoenix playing a desperate widower called Boy Who Lives in the Desert on a nuclear testing site. It, that's what it says. <laughs> playing a desperate widower called Boy Who Lives in the Desert on a Nuclear Testing Site. When the Fletchers, Jonathan Price, and Judy Davis 
A married couple on their second honeymoon show up on his land. He imprisons them to conquer his loneliness and lust. Dark Blood was shot predominantly on location in Torrey, Utah, back in 93. It was then uh, And then when the production was moved to L.A. for interiors, that's when Phoenix overdosed and died. Uh, producers were, shut down, were forced to shut down the production and reevaluated if Dark Blood could be completed without him. Phoenix's surviving members sued, so, uh, sued to bar its completion. The case was settled in 99, and the film's insurance company took control of the remaining footage. Um, there's more of this article here, just a little bit, uh, but I will not read it. It just kind of goes on a little bit more about the insurance claims and uh, all that stuff in the studio and the director trying to get the movie back, and it's pretty interesting. Um, do you, I mean, with Paul Walker passing away and uh, the Greg Allman movie when the uh, when the when the girl behind the camera, the stunt actress, passed away, she got hit by the train, and they're wanting to continue the movie, but William Hurt, who plays Greg Allman in the movie, quits the movie, and then Greg Allman, who was the producer, you know, is trying to sue them to keep them from stop making the movie because of the the tragedy. I mean, is this stuff? I mean, is this good? I mean, should studios just stop? I and mean, we touched base on this a few episodes ago, but well, I mean, you gotta remember uh, also with. Uh... Uh, Jonathan, uh, right? John Landis, right? He's the, uh, no, Zemeckis. Right? Robert, Robert, Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. He directed the Twilight Zone segment. Well, a lot of people that... direct. Oh, oh, the one in particular. The with... one with the helicopter. That yeah, crashed, was yeah. That... You know, I don't remember, to be honest. Let's look that up. It was John Landis. Yeah, John John Landis was actually here. Uh, on July 23rd, during uh, 1982, during the filming of The Twilight Zone, actor Vic Morrow and child extras... Uh, a seven-year-old and a six-year-old were killed in an accident involving an out-of-control helicopter. Landis and four other crew members were actually charged with involuntary manslaughter over it. Uh, that ended up coming out. Right. And with that movie coming out, I can't... Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I really think that... <sighs> Honestly, if you don't have the movie come out in some regard... Even with the Paul Walker thing, I know we were talking about Paul Walker last week. With, with the, um, there's got to be ways that you can work around things of that nature. Either you need to have contingency plans in place for large insurance claims, or be able to alter the story, or, or do you know do certain things. But if you ask me, if you halt production entirely, um, then it's almost as if they died for nothing. Especially if it's one of those things where it's during production. You know, with Paul Walker, a little bit of a different scenario. He died outside of filming and everything. Uh, but, you know, with like, yeah, the, 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 the stunt woman who, who, who died. Um, and then with, again here, I just, yeah, I got to say, you, you almost need to figure out a way to come out with it. I don't think it's in poor taste. You don't necessarily have Brandon Crow, uh, uh, Brandon Lee with the Crow, right? Mm-hmm. Um just because someone, just because there's an on-screen tragedy, does not necessarily mean that you have to stop. Um, if it's in such a way that there's just literally no way to pick up the pieces, then okay. I mean, you know. Uh, but other than that, no. I just, I really think it's. It, I don't think it's in bad taste. I think it would be in bad taste to keep the scene in the movie or something. I mean, of course, that would be terrible. But I think that the, you know they died for nothing. You know, now everything's gone to waste. Nothing will ever come of it, and no one gets to experience anything as a result of this one tragedy. I, I don't know. I think it'd go the other way. Yeah, that's me. 
Well, check it out soon. Dark Blood, River Phoenix. Yeah. All right, so that concludes the news, and this is going to bring us to our only segment that, for whatever reason, we still don't have an intro for. You know, maybe I can... Intro. It was like a fine wine. <laughs> yes, pour some wine. Did it age well? <laughs> no, I don't know. This I, yeah. I, this is terrible. Uh, too bad Thurston Howell couldn't, like, uh, we, we could do, we can, I don't know. Do, does he talk about Mr. Magoo even talk about wine or anything? Oh, that would be or? good. Yeah, you know. Ah, love it. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we could find something. I don't know if we could find anything public domain, though. Oh, true. Well, you know, thirty keep twenty seconds or thirty seconds, maybe someday. One you know, day. it won't be today, but not you know. Yeah. So we, or if anybody who's listening to the show would like to submit one or tell <laughs> us where we could find something for this segment. So the segment is called "Did It Age Well." Now the uh, we did this most recently with uh, Ace Ventura, and our rules are pretty simple. The movie just has to be twenty years old. If it's at least 20 years old, we're looking into it to see if it aged well. This this one is from 1985, and it is Spies Like Us. This was the 10th highest grossing film of 1985, and a comedy that stars Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd as bumbling spies who are sent to Soviet Russia on a mission that ostensibly is, they don't, they don't know it, but it's, they're supposed to be doomed to failure. And it's all of the wonderful mishaps and everything that happened as a result. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is the rather serious guy from the Navy who is trying to... Who actually is really smart and really is trying to become a spy. He wants to be in the uh, CIA or what have you. And then uh, Chevy Chase is basically the bumbling idiot... Uh, who wants nothing more than to just be a spy because basically he thinks it's cool. These guys end up tagged together due to some just... (laughs) I'm sorry, I still think it's funny even to this day. One of the best cheating scenes I have ever seen um, in any form or fashion. Chevy Chase comes in with (laughs) with his arm broken and then attempts to cheat to get through a, uh, the entrance exam and it's just absolutely hilarious I gotta say I think this is this is one of those amalgamations that is a perfect time capsule it's great comedy for the day and of the day that's still somewhat relevant based on its subject matter I think the way that these guys interact with one another in the buddy, in the traditional, you know, buddy film style is definitely timeless. And aside from certain things like the music and the way that the film was shot in certain Cold War era things, it actually, in this particular instance, it plays to its strengths because this is a Cold War era movie about Cold War era subject matter. Um... So I really think aside from music or score, I think this film has actually aged incredibly well and is definitely one of the more standout films from this decade. And I would definitely say that it ages well. I think that there's um, lots of fun to be had. Uh, the, the surgery scene uh, is, is, is pretty funny. 
and like I said, the cheating scene, the, the, their training, all, um, and then even the payoff at the, the the payoffs at the end, and how everything actually turns out for everybody. If you haven't actually seen this movie, I won't spoil the direct ending. It's actually pretty funny though, uh, diplomatically speaking. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I definitely say that this is aged well, and it's just. It gets a pass overall because of the subject matter, and it took place during the heyday of the subject matter. So, poking fun at it, and then of course the things that age well that translate today are a lot of the timing, a lot of the comedy, the, the writing style of the comedy, and the buddy aspect of it has definitely aged well. And those are things that could translate even to today. So I say yes, Spies Like Us aged well, and you should watch it. Okay. Uh, Sounds so, like Tim does not think it aged well. No, <laughs> I'm, looking, okay. I'm looking at his face right now, and he's like, mm, I don't know. So yeah. I, I watch, I watch this. I remember watching this movie as a kid, like on uh, uh, TBS or, or whatever, and watching it. And and I definitely know as a kid, or uh, my my taste has uh, has has changed a lot. But then I realized that there are movies that I loved as a kid that I, I still enjoy now, and a lot of often we talk about those movies, and sure. uh, and you know as much as it pains me to say that I really like them still, you know, <laughs> yeah, because you know I, like there, there are certain movies that you love as a kid that you just have so much you know involved in it, you know, like so much like you're, that's what you're used to watching, and you know it kind of just sticks with you, and I I, I feel that. That that this is how this movie became a cult favorite over the years. I mean, it's about I'm reading, they keep calling it a cult comedy. Um, but this is definitely one that I kind of agreed with with my rejudgment of the movie watching it again uh, later on, especially what is interesting about the movie is that they were wanting to make it more kind of like a, they wanted to make it a uh, like an Ab, or not, not an avid cost like the Bob Hope road movies mm-hmm. you know and so that's why Bob Hope makes a little appearance in it and a very random appearance and with, oh yeah the, with Bing Crosby yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh no no yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and with doing that the reason why the the Bob Hope Bing Crosby road movies were so good is because these guys not only were they hilarious but they had a good chemistry you know working together and they were not too different. There was definitely the smarter one, you know, the more strapping you know sure. guy, and then there was the goofy, you know, more of like the woman womanizer character. Right. But I mean, that was kind of what separated the two. And with that, you also have the song and dance numbers and all the other, you know, all the other, you know, little gimmicks and whatever that make those movies special and, you know, enjoyable to watch for the most part. With Spies Like Us, I just, I thought they, they, they fell, if every, the characterization fell in, uh, fell into the, the more stereotypical 80s comedy where Chevy Chase plays another guy who just loves women and all, it's just sex, 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 sex. And so at the, Close to the end of the movie, you have it to where, you know, it's the end of the world. You know, they think that everybody's going to die. Well, let's just screw, you know. <laughs> and that's and that's supposed to be the funny thing. And it's just like, that's kind of his thing for the entire movie. And nothing else. And that just, you know, I it just wasn't my bag. I didn't laugh at all. The funniest thing to me was the beginning of the movie where the guy has the, the handcuff briefcase. Right. And he walks in and he... <laughs> you know, he, I, have the, I have the briefcase here, you know, it's handcuffed, oh, I can't do that, you know, it's, it's my orders that I can't, you know, I have to keep it on here. And so the guy, knowing that information, 
takes the briefcase, tries to pull it, and he stretches out the briefcase, and so it, you know, and so he has to drag the guy and puts him in a closet. You know, and that's funny. But then my next question is, well, wouldn't I mean, if it's that, if that's protocol, protocol, why is the guy so surprised that, you know, that's going on? You know, why is the general like surprised that the guy he cannot have the briefcase? You know, when without the guy attached to it, you know, all that stuff. But that that was really the only funny thing about it. But even that, I was like, well, what was the point of that? But whatever. I. It, just the humor, the the special effects, even the Paul McCartney song at the end is super 80s, not enjoyable 80s. It's kind of like in, back in the 80s they had a thing where they would take the title of a song and make the entire song about the title of the song where they would just repeat the title of the song over and over again. And even Paul McCartney does that. Spies like us, do 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 do. Spies like us, do do do. Spies like us. Right. Over and over and over right. and over again. And again, in the eighties, it was probably like the shit. But yeah, you know, I don't. I don't really know about 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 now, really. Uh, but people do enjoy the movie. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I didn't care for it. Again, the humor, I just didn't like it. I I just didn't like how everything kind of happened. The story was big. You know, it could have been more. Uh, if it was more kind of like Doctor Strangelove, where it's really funny, but it had a great like social commentary to it, and where again like maybe the humor just kind of like falls into place, as well as you can add in, you know, some of the Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd humor, where they do they are in movies where they are hilarious, but in this particular uh, in this particular movie or scenario, it just really didn't work out. You know, you, you have the entire movie building up to when they actually go on their mission, and then they're on their mission, and then, like, all this stuff is going on, so they're really not, like, they're, they're, the movie is not, like, an, an adventure for them. They just go to a couple places, and a couple of things, like, like kind of happen, you know, and then they have to try to figure out, like, these really goofy, campy ways to, you know, get over it. And I think a lot of the jokes are even, maybe at the time the jokes were, uh, were not overdone, and maybe since then the jokes have been way overdone, like in other movies and whatnot. And that could be another reason why, you know, I didn't care for it too much. But uh, yeah, I just it just didn't do a whole lot for me watching it, watching it now. So I yeah, I go with a no for this one. But yeah. You know. All right. Well, then we're split. Tim does not think it aged well, and I think it did age well. But you know, the he's, first time he's just a little kid. He doesn't know any better. I'm just That's a little boy. <laughs> I'm only three and a half years old. <laughs> yeah. Alright. No, I've, I've never watched a movie until this movie. <laughs> hey, yeah, fuck his degree in fucking film. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about, right? <laughs> uh, Alright, no, seriously. Okay, so. Tim says it did not age well. I say it did age well. Maybe someone out there in listener land will have either watched this movie recently uh, and or will go and watch this movie and let us know what they thought. So that would be cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then that's going to end that segment for us and bring us to the last one as usual, which is... Yes. All right, so this week's movies were Terms and Conditions May Apply, a 2013 documentary that's on Netflix, and then, of course, A Million Ways to Die in the West, and Maleficent, which just opened this past weekend. Given that we're on June 2nd, 
now. No, June 3rd, right? Yeah, June uh, 3rd. 3rd. Yeah, 3rd, so yeah. seeing how we're on June 3rd, and these movies came out over the weekend, hopefully you will have seen them already, and if not, you won't see A Million Ways to Die in the West until it comes out on Redbox. But... That's a little that's a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, where do you want to start first? Do you, uh, do you? Well, it depends. Do you do we want to have a conversation first or at, at the end? <laughs> um, okay, so Tim's been a busy beaver and apparently did not get enough time to see the movies that came out in the theater this weekend. Which um, I might have like had a like been lucky by what some of the things that you've been saying. Well, on a million ways to die in the West, I would think that you might have been. I think you would probably agree with me on cinematography and score. Probably. Where we, I mean, we might disagree on the comedy aspects of it, but, you know, who knows. Um, I would have liked to have known what you thought about Maleficent, though. So. Yeah. I guess let's go ahead and just do Terms and Conditions May Apply. We can get that out of the way real fast. Okay. All right, so Terms and Conditions May Apply, 2013 documentary film about all of the contractual terms and user agreements that play, that people like Google... Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, uh, basically everybody who's giving you all of your online social presence for free, uh, what you're what you're trading in uh, in exchange for that and how incredibly dangerous overall it actually can be for you. Um I thought that this I I already knew that you were basically signing your life away going into this, but to see just how desperately you are being fucked in the ass was definitely eye-opening, and not just the brown eye. I mean, it was... <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I was just going with the fucked in the ass comment, so... Um, no, but seriously, I mean, you, you really are being completely screwed over. And the fact that they are doing this in such a way that they are completely legally protected, but at the same time, you're almost... It's, it's kind of like a form of extortion because you can't participate in anything if you don't agree to the terms and it's your choice you don't have to agree to the terms but we're in a society where you're getting more and more to the point where you almost have to be forced into agreeing to the terms or you won't be able to have any kind of a presence you wouldn't be able to get email right um and even on ones where you pay for your email, they're still usually linked. Like, for example, if you have AT&T, uh, Uverse, you will probably get a, a Yahoo account that is paid. You are paid for that, so it's not subject to the free terms and conditions that you are if you get a free Yahoo account. But it doesn't matter because it's still connected through Yahoo, so they have access to see it and go send all that shit to the third parties anyway. Um, all of the apps and stuff that are on your phone that you're, you know, they have access to all your information and your GPS data, where you're located and everything. Um, it's literally gotten to a point where how are you supposed to not do it? Right. I, um, right. And that's what really gets me is because they have cr- effectively created a playing field where you can't play unless you're willing to sacrifice all this stuff. So... It was definitely eye-opening. I thought that, for me, the only thing that really draws back is that, um, I don't know, they, they really seem to kind of harp on the same things over and over and over again, and then 
even though yes, they offered, they tried, the, they, they tracked down Zuckerberg and try and stop him on the street and all this kind of stuff uh, to get him to talk. So I mean, it does make me a little bit more inclined to believe it. But just I don't know, they seem to really um, try to drive the agenda of terms and conditions are bad. They already are, we know that. But I never saw them really try and give a fair shake to anyone who would be willing to try and at least stand up for the other side. And that's the one thing that I like about, I want from a documentary. I want you to at least attempt to be even-handed about it. Um, for example, Blackfish is you know made the big splash last year and everything. Um, it's on Netflix as well. But the thing is, is that they do not do, they do not have any um, opposite opposing viewpoint presented in the film. And everyone who is you know, from SeaWorld are former mm-hmm. people. Right. And so when you stack your deck that way, that doesn't make what they have to say any less factual, but it does have a lens attached to it. It does have a less than objective viewpoint to it. It doesn't matter that they're right. It's how they're presenting the information. And so for me, that totally colors that documentary. And... I would at least like to see something that SeaWorld would present. You know, well now I've just got two propaganda films, and and so that's why that's kind of where terms and conditions at least makes a token effort. Like I said, with the whole confrontation with Zuckerberg and, and everything, but other than that, they don't really try and bring any kind of serious viewpoint that supports why terms and conditions are good. Um, does that mean that they are? Of course not. I, I mean, I get the idea, and I want to stress that that I'm not trying to say that they are inherently good, and that you know this is it's a very good documentary, and it is really eye opening. But I do like to see that. And so for me, uh, that cost it a star. Other than that, it's still a great movie, and I definitely come in at four stars on this movie. It's very good. Yeah, I it, this movie was is frightening. Like as yeah. I was watching it, I was seriously considering just going on my Facebook and deleting all my just deleting my Facebook other than you know like having you know the SLS cast stuff on there just for promotion or whatever because like I can't you know you really just can't trust like not only what I mean you can trust yourself like what you put on Facebook but you can't really trust what other people put on Facebook that can be tracked down or directly related to you Sure. And this movie kind of kind of goes along with this PBS special. And I don't think it was Nova. No, it wouldn't be Nova. It was just a PBS special about uh, online marketing and how like movie stars they it's movie stars they go to these companies that uh, that that craft their like Twitter and their Tumblrs and their Facebooks to, like make them you know what to do to get more people involved and how to like get uh, people to sponsor you and get more money and all this stuff. And that's all it is. It's like. You, you go on Facebook, and Facebook says, or Twitter, or whatever else, or whatever else, and they say, or even Stitcher, and they <laughs> even say, like, oh, you know, join us, you know, join us, you know, promote Stitcher, and you know what? If you do that, you just might, you know, get all this, you know, and then which might turn into, well, you might get money, you know, we're not getting paid by them, you know, we, no, and, you know. But to be fair, I don't think we have, but like, you know, three people and. Two of those three people are us that subscribe to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I mean, so there is that. I mean, you know. yeah, yeah, but but it's like it's kind of like you know do this, do that, and not. A, but the thing is, like only a small amount of people succeed in doing that, and like really, really getting to do that. 
But in order to keep succeeding and with uh, with doing like being like uh, having a, an established social media presence, is that you have to keep yourself in the whole social media bubble balloon or whatever, where you have to keep plugging in. Uh, stuff you have to keep using Twitter. You have to keep using Facebook. To where so many people are so dependent on Twitter and Facebook that Twitter and Facebook has become like their own thing, their own their own entity. I mean, you look right. at you watch the news, you watch any freaking TV show, and like uh, like watching The Amazing Race. I love watching The Amazing Race, but the one thing that's been pissing me off is that if one of the one of the race one of the, the contestants say something that's remotely like catchy. Up on the up on the on the on the corner, it says like hashtag, you know, something, <laughs> whatever something, something. they said. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> gee, it's like, are you kidding me? You know, that's it's stupid. Uh, I don't know if that really d- directly relates to the movie or not, but I guess in, in some way it does. But that that's why uh, you kind of feel more compelled, like Matt was saying, that to join these websites, regardless of the terms and conditions, and. You can't. I, I don't. It's really hard to really trust these people because they talk about how Google, uh, they when they first started, they had the original terms and conditions saying that okay, you are completely protected. We're not going to give your information out to anybody. And I mean, it was like the ultimate, the ultimate, you know, iron seal between you and the outside world. You know, your information, in the outside world. And then sometime later, that all changed and then went on from there. But if you go on the record, on the Google records of, like, their past terms and conditions, the real terms, the first real terms of conditions, the original one, isn't even there. So it's kind of like they're covering it up. Right. But, you know, whatever, you know, there's like... The internet wayback machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 found it. And it's like, no, I mean, this, they're, they're hiding it. And then you have Mark Zuckerberg's texts in the movie, where they comment on somebody says something like, "Oh, you know, the people are going aren't gonna be mad when their information is out there," or yada yada yada. And he says, "Well, they're 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 stupid, they're dumb fucks for thinking that they're safe or something like that." Right? Yeah, their privacy. They're, yeah, they're, yeah. They have no privacy. They're stupid or they're dumb. But yeah, I mean, he does, he goes out of his way. He's a you know, but he's a rich dickhead. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, and everybody everybody just puts so much stock in Facebook and in Twitter and all that stuff that. You have to do it no matter what, and these companies know it. You know that's the bad thing. That's the scary thing is that these companies know it. It's the same thing with how, uh, at least, I mean, I'm sure the you know insurance is the same way, but even more so. You know, a couple years ago, insurance was the same way. Now it's maybe a little bit better. You know, by that I mean a little bit better <laughs> with how uh, they know that they're evil, and but they but they know also that you are you know you know you are giving yourself up to these companies. You know, you have to use them. There are no other options. And, and that's that's the thing. I mean, it's like with even, you know, possibly even with Netflix, saying that Netflix made a deal to have, uh, to have like, the best internet, uh, the, bad, the, the best internet speed, like, upload speed, than any other streaming website, just so that they are better. And people were asking, like, well, is that right? I mean, can you do that? Can you monopolize the internet speed? So that your so that Netflix will show movies better and you know in better streaming, better quality, and all that stuff. Right. Well, then that would mean you know more viewers. Right. And w- which makes which is why I say this movie was frightening for me and you know Matt as well. But with saying that, the movie is good. I give it a four as well. It's just I my thing is that I, I think I'm with Matt with the with the different sides of the story. I mean they cover themselves pretty well up to a point. But when they say that, oh, so-and-so on, 
uh, like sent out an email or posted on Facebook that they were going to uh, that living in England that they were going to come over to New York to destroy the streets. However, when they showed up at LaGuardia Airport, they were or they were taken into questioning, arrested, and you know were behind bars for the weekend because you know one thing after another happened. Well, it was because he what he meant by destroy the streets is tearing the town apart, tearing the streets up, right? You know, the town parting, a bit. Yeah, 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 right, yeah, yeah, parting it out. But however, what they kind of failed to say is that well, maybe you know he could have been saying something else, and maybe he was looking up something, or maybe. You know, there could have been more to the story. And again, that's something that, you know, maybe we will never know. You know, maybe that's a part of the whole, you know, creepiness of it. But it was just like a little, not a little too much of that, just but just a little of it to taint the the one star that would have made it a five star. But it's still definitely worth watching and I think equally, you know, effective for those who, uh, you know, definitely have questions. But as well as, uh, as well as watching this one, definitely check out the PBS documentary as well. It's very interesting, not necessarily entertaining, but interesting. Right on. Okay, well, that takes care of that. So four stars across the board for Terms and Conditions May Apply. Last two movies here. I'm going to go ahead and cover these for you real quick. A Million Ways to Die in the West, 2014 American Western comedy film, written and produced by Seth MacFarlane, Alex Sulkin, and Wes, well, Leslie Wilde, and is also directed by Seth MacFarlane. Um, this is about a guy who is essentially he's he's a self-aware guy in the West back in 1882. And the thing is, is that he's also got the education level of someone basically from the 21st century. Now he doesn't use 21st century lingo or anything of that nature, but he has the historical knowledge all uh, as it was currently. Uh, more than currently available at the time. And he uses that to then explain why he hates living out in the West. And he's a sheep farmer who, through some various circumstances, ends up learning how to become a gunslinger. Um, and all of this is to try and get a, his girlfriend back who left him for a mustachier guy or whatever, uh, played by Neil Patrick Harris. Um... The problem with this movie is that it relies way too heavy, heavily on someone that just simply would not exist in this time period. Um, shifting back and forth between falling for the tropes of the time in terms of racism and things of that nature, and, and then being so self-aware that when he's called yellow, he points out, now that's not very nice to our you know, Chinese friends. Yeah. Uh, you know, and stuff like that. Um, on top of that, the movie then went and showed virtually every single funny thing that is possible in the trailer. So you're totally set up for it, you totally know what's happening, and then um, you, uh, you, you it's not funny. Now, there was probably eight or nine other people in the theater, and they were kind of chuckling, and I think two of them actually laughed a lot. But most of the stuff in there, you're just not... I got a couple smiles from myself, a couple chuckles, and then he does say one or two things that were actually kind of funny. But other than that, he just... The movie is is designed to show how terrible life really was in a funny way. But he does contrast that very well with two with the two standout things of this movie. First of all, the cinematography. Cinematography is just absolutely outstanding. 
and does a wonderful job of conveying just exactly how amazingly beautiful the frontier was. He combines that with an excellent score. McFarlane does a great job with the score in this movie. It is absolutely phenomenal. Very, you know, old west feeling and everything, but not parrot but not in a but not trying to parody it. So those two things are excellent standout things. Other than that though, um, one thing that really bothered me is now look, I, I know I'm not a, a looker, okay? I'm, I, I don't go and get all the ladies. But Seth MacFarlane really, truly appears to just have a shitload of pancake makeup just right across the top of his mustache line, where, where like your mustache beard natural growth line would be, uh, across his nose and his face. It's kind of like someone went and hit him with like a CoverGirl makeup base just on the top of his top half of his face, and, and it's totally noticeable. Oh, it's completely noticeable throughout the whole movie. The whole movie. It's it's like I don't know if he had some bad plastic surgery or something, yeah. or if um, what's that uh, Botox? Botox. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if maybe someone went just a little ape shit with the Botox across the face. I, I don't. I don't know what. It's just. It's very unnerving. <laughs> and he's the star of the movie, and he's got a lot of close-ups, and it's very unnerving. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I, I don't know. I, look, I, again, I'm not trying to say it's because I'm better looking than him, or I have the right to judge. It just, so it just, it bothered me. I, you know. Did, anybody, did any of the other actors have no? Any... Just him. Well, huh. uh, Sarah Silverman kind of looked a little off, but she's playing a hooker, so it, I mean, naturally worked. her makeup yeah. is supposed to be kind of weird. But there's one point where she's not in the makeup, uh, and she looked kind of weird too so I'm not sure if maybe just the makeup person wasn't so great or whatever Possibly, yeah. um, but I do also think it's kind of funny how I was you know I stuck through the credits to, to see if there was a post credit scene or whatever and the whole movie is about how terrible life in the west really was and everything and then I just as I'm looking at the credits go by and everything and I see personal chef to Mr. McFarlane <laughs> I'm like, well, it must not have been that terrible if you've got your own personal chef. Fuck everybody else in the cast. I've got a personal chef. Uh, I just thought it was kind of funny. Does it kind of... It's kind of weird, like, seeing something like that, and you realize, this is the guy that makes fun of stuff like that, and yet he's falling into his own... Yes, he has a personal chef. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, what? yeah, I, I really just think that... Uh, he just went a little too overboard. I think he wrote something that was... He wrote material that was trying to be too smart to parody what was going on. And he did it in... So, and then he uses that material to go with just your average... Your average Joe story fish out of water who becomes kind of good at what he does by the end of the movie. Um, all in all... I still, I, I don't come away from this movie saying it's terrible. I would definitely recommend not seeing it in the theater. Wait till it comes out on Redbox or if you want to buy it on Blu-ray or whatever when it comes out, that's fine. Um, but I didn't like hate this movie. It's not quite okay, but it is a little bit better than didn't like it. So I'm going to land on two and a quarter stars on this one. 2.25 for A Million Ways to Die in the West. And those 2.25 stars really and truly come from the cinematography and the score. Uh, they make the movie literally pleasant for all that because yeah. there's definitely lots of chase scenes and lots of cutaways and big grandiose things so they've got that 
Last but not least is Maleficent. 2014 dark fantasy adventure film directed by Robert Strongberg and stars Angelina Jolie. Now this also has my on-again, off-again buddy, uh, Shalto Copley. And he plays uh, Prince Philip. No, Stefan. Sorry. Plays Prince Stefan. Uh, King Stefan. Her dad, right? Aurora's dad. Yeah, Aurora's dad. Not Yeah, yeah. Maleficent. Uh, yeah. And they... Okay, so this... I, the easiest way to explain this for anyone who hasn't seen it yet is simply, if you've ever seen Ever After, this is pretty much Disney's version of that based against Sleeping Beauty. They do make it about Maleficent in terms of more her origin story as it revolves around the story of Sleeping Beauty, but it still pretty much follows the Sleeping Beauty mm -hmm. uh, storyline. And explains how things get set up for it. The movie is definitely really interesting, and it has a lot of really cool um, effects and stuff, and, and it's really pretty to look at. You're, it's very reminiscent of Oz the Great and Powerful. Unfortunately, though, there are there is such a reliance on the special effects and the CGI that at times it gets very close to Jack and the Giant Slayer. Um, when we didn't like the effects, where they combined real life with the CGI, and that was when it looked really shoddy and wasn't so great. It's borderline on that. It's not quite that bad, but it is borderline to that. Um, that being said, overall, the effects, the effects are still really cool. The story, again, very, very interesting. But Charlotte Copley's portrayal of Stefan is interesting at first, and then just kind of goes off the deep end by the end of the movie, and causes a almost not quite laughable, but definitely a very stark unanswered uh, oh, the word I'm looking for it was like overacting? Or? No, 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 it's a conflict. Okay, There's, okay. it provides a, a something, a, an unanswered conflict that is not resolved at the end of the movie. And whereas I did not like him in Elysium, though I could appreciate, like I said, the use of all the different actors and everything. And then I did like him in, was it Event Horizon? Was that the one that we want? No, what was the one? Old Boy? No, no. Oh, 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 District 9. No, not District 9. It's the one where they go off to the moon. The Mercury's moon. Or oh, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. He's in that yeah, one. Yeah, and Jupiter, I, not Jupiter. Jupiter, no, no, yeah, no, 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 I think. No, no, I don't think Jupiter is sending. <laughs> it's, uh, you know. The, uh, we just watched this like yeah. a month ago. Oh, my God. Too many movies in the meantime. It's all right. But I liked him in that movie. I really liked him in that movie. So I was definitely interested to see in, in this in this movie as well. And Europa. Europa Report. Thank you. Europa Report. All right. And so I liked him in Europa Report. Uh, this one, really kind of in the middle, because I liked how he portrayed the character early on, but by the end of the movie, I'm just kind of like, eh, I don't know what's going on. And I don't know that that was necessarily him as much as the direction, but I have a feeling it was more him. Right. The only the other big thing that really detracts from this movie for me is there, there's a huge plot point here. Uh, now, everybody who knows the story of Sleeping Beauty... It, again, it primarily follows that narrative. Shortly after Maleficent puts the curse on Aurora, 
We then find that she knows where Aurora's at. And instead of killing her when she has the opportunity, since she's already cursed her to a sleep-like death or whatever anyway, or permanently getting her out of the picture in some other form or fashion, instead she ends up kind of watching over her as she grows. And that ends up feeding into something in the third act that is extremely important to the movie. And yet, there is no explanation for this switch as to why she would just be there instead of, you know, taking care of business, mm -hmm. however she needed to do so. Yeah. And that's also something that is unanswered. And it, and it really, because it is the impetus for the rest of the plot, primarily, that does also lead up to that conflict that doesn't get resolved with Stefan by the end of the movie. You're kind of left wondering, well, why? And they don't answer. They don't answer those questions. And it, and for me, that really hurts the story because without those kinds of revolutions, it seems almost as if it was just kind of lazy writing to put it, just to kind of give an ending that they wanted. Yeah. That being said, um, it's still a very interesting movie, and I did like it. And I was and I've really been kind of wrestling with where I wanted to land in terms of the rating because it's um, it was better than a three star movie, but I wasn't really quite sure with how much. And after going over it, and even here today, I'm definitely confident. I will say three and a quarter stars, three point two five for Maleficent. It is a good movie, and it's great family fare. Um, it's it's I think it's just intense enough that the kids will be like, "Whoa, my goodness!" But it won't give them nightmares forever. Um, you probably will want to take it easy on someone who's a kindergartner or less, unless you know your kid and your kid can handle it, but. I'd say six and up will probably not have any problems with this movie whatsoever. So yeah, three point two five stars. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And um, due to, I guess, life getting in the way for next week, we only have <laughs> one movie that we're going to be watching. No, we can. There's other stuff on Netflix we can watch. Oh, I thought of another one. I was with friends yesterday, and they said, "Tim, you look like we just watched a movie." And you look like the actor, the director, and the producer of it. And it's about a guy, about the, these uh, these gangs in a trailer park who have to compass, who have to compass, who have to compete in a dance dance revolution battle to gain ownership of the trailer park. And whoever wins, whoever whoever becomes the owner of the trailer park, their main prize is uh, getting together with the trailer park princess. Oh, that sounds good. So that could be a possibility to watch. It's on Netflix. I'll hear whatever you want, man. We, you know, that's tell the, me. That's oh, and we offer three squared next week. We totally didn't mention that uh, we have a three squared next week, and a three squared is going to be worst movie accents. Yes. So let's remember remember that for next week. Three squared for next. We're bringing back three squared. We haven't done it in a few weeks, so we're bringing back three squared, and it's worst movie accents. Yeah. So the movies for next week are going to be. Uh, escape, escape from t Tomorrow Escape from Tomorrow Which is the movie that was the, surreptitiously Disney, filmed yeah. In Walt Disney World in Disneyland Yeah, uh, there's uh, the FP Which is probably going to be bad But uh, why not And there's also a, a supposed to be a really good So the FP is supposed to be dancing movie? Yeah, it's the trailer park movie Okay, so it's called the FP Yeah, and then there's also this Nicolas Cage movie where, uh, Called The Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage and uh, uh, 
Doesn't matter. It's he, Frozen Ground yeah, with it, Nicolas Cage. It, and we're going to watch that movie. Okay. <laughs> so there we go. So Frozen Ground, the FP, and Escape, Escape from, from Tomorrow. Tomorrow. All on Netflix. Save your money. Maybe and, your time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so there we go. All right. So then I guess that's going to lead us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, as always, the music you've been listening to has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at uh, ReverbNation.com and MySpace.com. I'm sorry, and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. Uh, as for us, we, of course, are still the SLS Cast, and you can check us out at slscast.com. You can check us out on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to, get this, folks, new email, the show, all one word, the show, T H E S H O W, at slscast.com. You can also go to Facebook, search the SLS Cast there, and, of course, subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher. Thanks again to our new friends out there, Midnight Movie Nights, and our local Houston comedy troupe. Oh, I, uh, Ophelia's Rope. Ophelia's Rope. And we will see you next week with Matt saying that thanks to Clint Eastwood, I get to say this. Respect your efforts. Respect yourself. Maybe we respect your efforts. Respect yourself. I can't do Clint Eastwood. Fuck it. So, respect your efforts. Respect yourself. (laughs) Self-respect leads to self-discipline. When you have both firmly under your belt, that's real power. Take care, guys. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.